0: Spoiler alert, everyone in this podcast is dead.
1: I don't usually like seltzer water. Usually it's because they just taste like essence of ass.
0: <laughs> you this better is... record this out.
1: <laughs> I love this out. I'm just not from this South, And you are definitely from this South. I'm
0: from the South. Southern born, Southern bred. And when I die, I'm the Southern dead. Get comfortable. There's a pillow there. I have blankets if you need them.
1: I really know nothing about what Zach has prepared.
0: Hide your children, don't play the
1: work. Well, yeah. you can be a victim if you are murdered. Are we ready? Yeah, we're ready. <laughs> okay, let me
0: go back we're back. ready to learn Here. about
1: all the spirits and ghouls. Oh my god!
0: Episode five. Yeah. Who knew there was an audience for this?
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, besides your mom and my mom.
1: Yeah. Well, also, I do love that you are so excited about researching all of this stuff.
0: I mean, I love it. Even if no one's listening. (laughs) Our dad at the end of this week is named Leah Wright Day. You and I went to this amazing event that Oakland Cemetery hosts every year.
1: (gasps) Oh, My gosh. The
0: Spirit of Oakland. And Leah Wright Day was one of the subjects. So if you're not familiar, Oakland Cemetery, every October during spooky season, of course, Mm -hmm. does this fabulous event called The Spirit of Oakland. And it's actors who tell the story of who they call residents, AKA people who are buried. Yeah. Side note
1: though, they actually, they also have props. They have like, they're dressed as the people. They are telling interesting and compelling story. They do it really well.
0: They do it very well. Mm -hmm. It's people who a lot of times I've never heard of. And that was the case here. So she was a black woman who lived in Atlanta from 1855 to 1936. What is happening?
1: I'm very excited if this (laughs) is the person I'm thinking
0: of. Janae's very excited about Leah Wright Day.
1: Doing a lot of hand motions over here. Yeah.
0: (laughs) So Leah, who we'll call her, we're on a first name basis, obviously. She was very heavily involved in what's called the washerwoman strike. Of 1881.
1: Love it. Yes.
0: So we kind of learned about this during the Spirit of Oakland event. But the problem is each person's limited to, I don't know, maybe five to ten minutes. Mm -hmm. So you get a little taste of what their life was like and what they were really involved in. But they can't really go into details just because there's not time. And this really resonated with me because I had never heard of this strike. You know, I'm from here, I grew up here, I went through the Atlanta public school system, and I just never heard of this washerwoman strike of 1881. So let's take a deep dive. In the 1880s in Atlanta, a very common profession for black women was a washerwoman or a laundress. What they would do is they would pick up the dirty laundry, mostly of white families. They would do the laundry offsite, and then they would deliver it back to these families. And something interesting is that this wasn't just a service for wealthy white people. This was even for poorer middle class and even poor white people. Mm. They could afford a washerwoman. In fact, if you had any extra money, this was really the first thing that you would spend your extra money on.
1: Yeah. I mean, think about how much time... An energy that frees up. If you can have someone else do your laundry, absolutely. It's definitely a shortcut, not a shortcut, but it's definitely like how you can spend more time working or childcare. Like it just really puts you ahead. Yeah.
0: Especially back then, Mm -hmm. right? Because families had many children. Back then you had multiple children. But not just that. It was that the industrial revolution and advancing technology allowed for you to have lots of clothes before this you maybe had two or three garments that you would kind of rotate in and out uh, but because of the industrial revolution families in the 1880s in atlanta had lots of clothes more so than they ever had before so you had the clothes of the parents you had the clothes of the, of the kids and there was just a lot of laundry to get done. And of course, like you alluded to, it was not as simple as, you know, loading in the machine and pressing start. This was really intense labor. So even middle class and below middle class families would hire Black women to do their laundry for them. And as you said, this was really back-breaking, grueling work. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was very labor-intensive. There was no machine. There was no technology to do this. You were scrubbing everything by hand, bent over, scrubbing day in and day out. It was really, really torturous work. And that kind of led me to the question of, you know, if it's such grueling work, why were so many Black women... Doing this? And I think the answer is one, because they were Black women, that was really one of the only very few jobs available to them Mm -hmm. because of systemic racism, that or nothing, right? It, It was one of the very limited opportunities for them. But two, interestingly, a lot of Black women chose this specifically because it actually allowed them some degree of autonomy. Because the other option for them was living in a house, a White House, serving that family day in and day out. But if they were a laundress, if they were a washerwoman, they could kind of do this on their own mm. and then go back to their own family at night.
1: Okay, so they could be primarily with their family go out to do this work and then come home.
0: Yeah. So that was the appealing part of it, I think, Mm -hmm. right. Is of course these women knew it was backbreaking work and they'd be toiling day in and day out, but they were picking this intentionally because they could also have their own autonomous life on the side, but conditions were really bad and wages were just abysmal. So In the 1880s, washerwomen made between $4 and $8 a month.
1: How much is that in today's money? Do you know?
0: Yes. So I did some little research. Today, that would be about between $115 and $230 a month.
1: I'm trying to do math in my head. I'm like thinking, so that's only really, that's only like a little bit over $2,000 a year, right? Yeah,
0: that's crazy. It is insane. Yeah, you cannot live on that. Yeah, backbreaking work. It's just, it's crazy. And it's just, the wages are so low. These women got together and they organized and they formed this coalition, air their grievances, and to demand higher wages. The original group was called the Washing Society. Love it. I love that name. Very accurate. (laughs) Very on point. And it started out as just 20 women. And what they were doing is they really wanted to draw attention to how hard this labor was, but more importantly than that, how little they were being paid. So they made a very explicit request of $1 per dozen pounds of wash.
1: Wow, that's quite an increase, but definitely needed. It's a
0: necessary increase. And it's very specific. And I think that they put a lot of thought into this. What is the appropriate amount? What is the right wage of pay here? And that is what they came up with. They were demanding $1 per dozen pounds of wash. So it started out with 20 women in the society. And here's the really, truly amazing part of this. In just three weeks, this grew from 20 women to 3,000.
1: Whoa! Organized much? Holy crap, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, this is insane. And when you think about it, it's even crazier, right? Because this is 1881. Yeah, right there. Yeah,
1: no social media to get each other on board. It's just like probably word of mouth.
0: No, to your point, there is no social media right? There's no TikTok. There's no Instagram. There's no Twitter. But more than that, there's no phones. We're not even talking primitive technology. These people have no phones. You can't even call someone to talk about this. Mm -hmm. You don't even have like an old school Xerox photocopier. There is nothing. What you have is your ability to organize. To your point, you just said it these women were really amazing at organization. And they just pounded the pavement and they went door to door and they knocked and they knocked and they knocked and they, knocked and they grew their coalition from 20 women to 3000.
1: Also something to be said about how probably freaking busy they were raising their families, trying to eat, cook all these things. Plus they're organizing. That's pretty incredible.
0: They were still raising their kids and they were organizing. Really the, the point where they were beating was the local black churches around Atlanta. hmm In particular, Wheat Street Baptist Church downtown. Which still exists. Wheat yeah, Street I was Baptist gonna Church. say
1: I've I've definitely seen it.
0: If you've seen it, it's still around, still downtown. And even back then, it was really a vital community gathering point. And these women relied on the ministers of this church to help them organize and to help them really just have a space to talk and plan. So that was kind of their their focal meeting point, where they would all get together and strategize and plan, how are we going to make this strike work? Really, Wheat Street Baptist Church has an amazing history. We could probably do a whole podcast just on this church, but we won't go down that rabbit hole. We'd be on here for hours. But just know that that's a historically Black church that really was integral to making the strike a success. Another really interesting point about this strike is that these Black women who were leading it also made a point to include white women who were also working as washerwomen.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Yeah, so... The vast majority of laundress women in Atlanta in 1881 were women. It was 98%.
1: Okay, so there was like very few men.
0: Well, there were no men. There There were no no men men men. at all, but there were 2% who were white women. But what's striking about that is that even though it was only 2%, they're really setting a precedent here. This is one of the very, very few social movements That's integrated Mm -hmm. in the 1880s. You know, everything was segregated by race. And this was one of the very few cultural moments in American history where black women and white women were coming together. And it was led by black women. And the vast majority of people in the strike were black women. But they did make an effort to include white women and they welcomed them with open arms. And it was just so striking because this didn't really happen at all.
1: Yeah. Pretty much anywhere else, I'm sure. Yeah. Do you know if the white washerwomen made more or equal amounts? Oh,
0: that is a great question. You know, I assume that they made about the same wages. I don't really know the answer to that. That's actually really intriguing. And if you are a listener and you know, please tell us. So it started out, as I said, as just 20 women. And then when it grew to 3,000 women and they were having organized meetings, the city took notice. So the mayor and the city council suddenly realized oh,
1: <laughs> this is an
0: actual thing. Yeah.
1: By the way, do you know who the mayor was at this time?
0: Yes. It was Mayor English. Oh,
1: I was going (laughs) to say a Candler. (laughs) Surprisingly, no. It was actually
0: not a Candler. It was Mayor English, whose really only legacy is um, actually English Avenue. So Vine City English Avenue is named after Mayor English. So he was the mayor at the time. It was a white mayor and a completely white city council of all white men. And they definitely took notice once this group grew to 3,000 people. And they retaliated.
1: Uh, that's not what I wanted to hear. It's not what you want
0: to hear, but also I'm oh. sure you're not shocked. No, gosh. They retaliated several ways. So they arrested some of the strikers, the leaders. They arrested them, put them in jail. They would also fine people for striking. Also, again, you may not be surprised to hear, they made house visits. <laughs> so they would visit the houses... Of these women really to intimidate.
1: I was going to say like antagonistic house visits. Oh,
0: surely. This was not a let's get a drinks call. Yeah. (laughs) Let's not break bread. This was a we're going to intimidate you into not being part of this strike. And don't be part of this movement. One reason that the city council and the mayor were so eager to end this strike is because in 1881, later that year... Atlanta was going to host what is called the International Cotton Exposition.
1: Uh oh. I'm sure a lot of clothes are made out of cotton. <laughs> this
0: is a huge thing. It was going to be in October of that year. And really, you can think of this as a huge world fair. This was absolutely enormous. And really, the point of this was to showcase Atlanta's rise from the ashes, from the Civil War, from Sherman's burning of Atlanta. And really, this 1881 exposition slash world fair was really meant to flex the muscles of Atlanta and show itself as a powerhouse city in America. So the city council and the mayor were 100% bought into this exposition. They were like, this is going to happen. It's going to be great. This is what's going to make Atlanta a premier city in America. And of course they were worried that this strike during the summer of that year was going to negatively impact this exposition because, of course, you need washerwomen for that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You need Mm -hmm. people... To do the laundry of the visitors and the hotels and all of that, and they were worried that this is going to throw a wrench in their
1: plans. Yeah, bed sheets, towels, curtains, not to mention clothes. Yeah,
0: and this was huge. In the end, over two hundred and fifty thousand people attended this exposition. Oh, wow! And the city council knew; they knew these people were coming, and so they said, "You absolutely cannot strike. It is unacceptable." So one thing that they did was that the city council imposed a $25 annual fee on the striking group.
1: Are you kidding? No,
0: this is real. So they said, oh, you're an organized group. You have to pay $25 every year just to exist as this group. Which is, you know, it sounds kind of small to us. But remember, these women were making $4 a month.
1: Yeah, that's that's huge. Huge, that's multiple months' wages. Yeah, this
0: is many months of your wages. Yes, to pay this random (laughs) annual fee that all of a sudden you have to pay. So, surely the city council thought, you know, they're not going to go through with this, this will disband the group, they're not going to come up with this $25. But these women did, (gasps) they rallied together, they organized, they knocked doors, they met at Wheat Street Baptist, and they came up with (laughs) this $25. And they delivered it to the city council. Oh,
1: my gosh. Heroes. Wait, so was it $25 collectively or $25 per person?
0: Well, no, for the group. Okay. But still, that's a really big sum of money. Absolutely. And they had to figure out how to come up with this $25, and they figured it out. And they got it and they delivered it. I'm sure much to the surprise and chagrin Mm -hmm. of of this all-wide city council. And here's the best part of the story. Is that not only did they pay the $25, but they sent a letter attached to this $25. And the letter says, quote, we mean business.
1: Yeah. Or. yeah.
0: No washing. (gasps) (laughs) We mean business or no washing. And I just love this, Mm -hmm. right? Because if you think about it today, that's not really a venomous letter. It's like people write letters all the time to their officials, their elected officials, to their politicians. Mm -hmm. But just think about this, right? Think about in 1881, if you were a black woman writing a letter, this letter, to an all-white city council and a white mayor, you must have had so much courage and bravery. To write this, to say we mean business or no washing
1: yeah, pay attention. I'm doing a thing. Right. We are doing a thing and right. it's unfair. My heroes. That's awesome. These
0: are our heroes. And they wrote this letter knowing right, that their compatriots were getting arrested. They were getting fined. They were getting these intimidating house visits and they didn't let that stop them. Not only did they come up with this $25, but they wrote this letter. And I just think, I don't want us to read these words and say, hmm, you know, in our current political environment, that's not very venomous. Yeah. But But back then, as a Black woman, you must have had so much courage to say this to an all-white city council. We mean business or no washing.
1: I mean, and I honestly, personally love that. Even if it was today, I mean, clearly not the same washing situation. When we're so quick nowadays on Twitter or Instagram or whatever to just cut each other down with the most acidic words to just go after the guttural, it kind of loses the impact of how significant those words are.
0: Yeah, and to your point, anyone at any time of day in our world can just get on their iPhone and tweet whatever, right? But it's so amazing to imagine going over letter by letter, right? Draft after draft after draft, probably agonizing over what is this going to say, right? We have the $25, but what is this letter going to say? And there's probably arguments about the wording and the grammar and all this. And they came up with this language, which I think is so powerful. And in the end, they were successful.
1: Yeah!
0: (laughs) For once, there's a happy ending here. Heck yes! I feel like all of our podcasts, all of our episodes in this tragic, horrific ending.
1: <laughs> and we all cry at the end. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. I'm, I'm very excited. Yeah.
0: Especially if you listen to our last episode. It mm-hmm. didn't end so well. But this one actually has a happy, well, happy-ish. We'll say happy-ish ending. So they did get higher wages. But here's the thing. It wasn't just about the money for these women. It was really about forcing this white political ruling class to recognize their dignity and I think that's just as important if not more important than the money itself I think there's really two important things that come out of it one is that it shows creativeness ingenuity and the perseverance of black women at their time And their ability to organize. I know we talked about this early, but really going from 20 people to 3,000...
1: In a matter of weeks. In three
0: weeks. Like, can you even do that now? No. We have the power of the internet now, and we can't do that now. No. Think about how hard these women work to organize. Yeah. Crazy. And really, there's a strong parallel to today and the organization that continues of Black Women in Politics, especially... This is not a political podcast, but just to say... The Democratic Party in Georgia, right? We think of women like Stacey Abrams and so many other Black women who, to be honest, kind of carry the Democratic Party of Georgia on their backs. Mm -hmm. It is Mm -hmm. because of women like Stacey and other Black women why Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff were elected to the Senate. Mm -hmm. And it's just such an interesting parallel. We have these Black women leading today, and we have them leading back in the 1880s. Mm Mm-hmm. The second thing that's really important about this strike is that it sets a precedent for labor strikes going forward.
1: In Georgia or yeah. the nation?
0: Well, probably in the nation, but definitely in Georgia. So other domestic workers saw the success of this strike, right? They saw, oh, wow, they demanded a wage increase and they got it. And so this inspired other domestic workers like cooks and maids to later on strike and demand higher wages.
1: Heck yeah. Awesome.
0: So they're not only one fighting for higher wages and the recognition of their dignity. But also really setting this present and encouraging other domestic workers to, hey, you can do this too. And I love that we can circle this back to our dead at Leah Wright Day. So Leah, just to dig a little deeper into her story, she was born into slavery. Hmm. Both she and her mother were washerwomen. And they were part of this strike. So Leah and her mother were both part of this And you can visit her grave today at Oakland. She's there. And it's amazing to think about, right? Because now it's just a headstone. But it's amazing to think about this history and how she was involved. Like, was she at Wheat Street Baptist Church, right? Was she in those meetings? Thinking about the wording of this letter to the mayor and city council. Was she thinking about how to organize? Was she knocking on doors? Was she going door to door knocking on it saying hey you're a washerwoman too do you want to be part of the strike and it's just amazing to think about she's there just a headstone with her <laughs> beginning date and the end date but there's so much between the dashes just so amazing to think about how much history there is there between the dashes what was she doing right she was advocating she was organizing she was demanding she was striking and it's just amazing that you know, I never heard of this. I didn't know who Leah Wright Day was before we visited Oakland that night. And larger than that, I had never even heard of this strike in eighteen eighty one. Mm. And so I'm I'm so grateful that we had this experience together and we know now about this strike and we can read about it and know about its significance. It's just great.
1: Yeah. And I think you said it really well with the dash. Almost the dash means the most, doesn't it? It's the dash. It's everything in between the beginning and the end. Yeah, the beginning and the end are important, but it really is the life. And if you think about it, you know, so many times you go into a cemetery or a mortuary and it's so quiet and or beautiful, flowers or stone or cold, um, or if it's outdoors, you have trees and it's lovely, but it's so quiet. But if every person that was there was to suddenly all live together all at once. What what a crazy scene it would be. There's so many stories, and I'm really, really grateful to you and to Oakland for bringing to life this story, which, like you, I hadn't heard before.
0: What's in the dash? Yeah. Right? What's in the dash? And for her, I think it was a lot of advocacy. It was a lot of demanding that she be recognized, demanding that her work be recognized, demanding that she gets the the wages she's entitled to. Yeah. And so much of that is lost. And like you said, I'm really grateful to Oakland for (laughs) bringing this to life and saying, Hey, this is a tombstone, but there's so much more to that. This is a whole story that has this really impactful significance in Atlanta's history. And on that note, something that I'd like to say is that uh, some of this is my own research, but really for this story, I really relied heavily on research that was already done. Particularly, I was relying on the research of a professor named Tara Hunter. Um, So she's a Black woman who's a history professor at Princeton, and she wrote about this whole strike in her book called Southern Black Women's Lives and Labors After the Civil War. And I would highly recommend it. It's great. And it's just a really Thorough research of what women, particularly Black women, were were doing after the Civil War, in terms of labor and to be recognized and to earn wages that they they needed.
1: We could put links to it in the show notes. Oh,
0: also follow us on Instagram, and we will link all of us. The
1: faces behind the voices, but don't look too close because it's usually comfy clothes. So. <laughs> we're in our PJs. For yeah, disclosure. Pretty we're much <laughs> very mm-hmm. comfortable. Mm-hmm. Thanks, sock.